Hi, I'm Josh. And I'm Lindsay. And this is The Hideaway Podcast, episode 38. Cento We are back in Brooklyn. We're back. We are back. We're so jet lagged. We're very jet lagged and we left our microphones in Australia. Sorry. I didn't remember. I forgot how long it would take to ship back and we left our microphones in the box. So we were shipping back. So oops. <laughs> oops indeed. We're recording this on our our home computer. So please excuse the uh, slightly lower lower quality of us. <laughs> Hopefully chatting. they'll be back next week. Yeah, back next week. But we have a great interview uh, for you guys this week with Lauren Eislinger, which we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit. But we did manage to record that with a high quality microphone. So yes. most of the podcast will sound pretty good. Yes. Um, and also apologies for being so radio silent for so long. Is it radio silent or podcast silent? Oh, yeah, I guess podcast silent. Sorry. We just totally underestimated how busy we were going to be and how um, just like mentally exhausting in a good way it would be. But now we're back and we can get back to podcasting. Get back to podcasting. Yeah. I mean, I think best thing to start off with was telling telling the folks out there how the Adelaide Fringe went for telling us. Telling the folks. <laughs> the folks listening. So... Uh, we were in Adelaide, which, if you look at a map of Australia, is southwest, but not all the way west, just towards the west coast. And I didn't remember, I didn't realize where Adelaide was totally. And then I was like, I should really look at a map because I always thought it was all the way on the west. But it's in this like little kind of cove. So it's a very secluded little city, which I sometimes felt like I was on an alien planet because people were so nice and like. <laughs> not bumping into each other and just friendly and other like, people so was not New York. Free. And everything was gluten-free. Every single cafe I went, in, it went into, there was a gluten-free option. And I never felt sick once. And it was, I really was like, I'm on an alien planet. Yeah. Lindsay has celiac. <laughs> that, we've never said that before in the <laughs> yeah. podcast. Yeah. But so we were in Adelaide for five and a half weeks. Yes, indeed. After stopping in Sydney for a few days. And, um... We talk about this more with our in our interview, but there's three sites, main sites at the Adelaide Fringe. Gluttony is one of them, the Garden of Unearthly Delights, and the Royal Croquet Club, which is where we were, or as people call it, the RCC. Our home on the riverbank. <laughs> our home on the riverbank. And it was great. I mean, we, were, we did 24 shows, so the same run as we did in New York. This time we did it in a tent, sort of an airplane hangar. Mm-hmm. Style. So if you imagine a big sort of U-shaped tent with a, a proscenium style stage. So we had to adapt our pretty immersive nightclub show into mm-hmm. a more traditional setting, which was a fun challenge. We did get a really awesome recording of the show, which we're going to be editing together in the next couple of days. By we, I mean myself sitting on the computer getting <laughs> frustrated because I'm terrible at video editing. Yes. But hopefully we'll have some great clips, maybe mm-hmm. maybe the whole thing for you guys to watch if you're... If you're keen on doing that. Mm -hmm. It was great. Uh, Audiences really, really loved it. A thing that we didn't realize was in New York and in America as a whole, people are very used to seeing violence on stage and on TV. And like The Walking Dead has like faces, faces getting ripped off, you know, and it's like really gory. And in Australia, in Adelaide specifically, the front page of their news was like, James Blunt has a new album coming out in 2017. Here's his tweet about it. <laughs> Here's his tweet. That's like the front page of the news. <laughs> yeah. And so I, uh, people were thought our show was very confronting, which was fun for them, but also they were like... Well, yeah, I think confronting is a good word for it because in, in New York, when we would sort of do our show for those who are tuning in for the first time, it's called Slumber and it's a circus and dance show about one girl who uh, gets upset with her best friends and decides to kill them all <laughs> uh, one night as they go out to the nightclub. In a funny way. In a funny way. And in New York, the funny campiness of the murders it's really played. Campy. Yes. People would laugh when, you know, they saw people getting stabbed or murdered. And, you know, the blood is ridiculous looking like it's high pressure flying out of their bodies. It does not look real. And that was sort of the intent behind it. 
But in Australia, neither of us really realize the degree to which they aren't exposed to violence. And some of the murders in the show, which we thought were hilarious and silly looking, people in the audience were sitting horrified. terrified. There was one night, though, there's this blood effect at the end of the show that was not in the New York run. And um, our stage manager slash jack of all traits, um, Vincent Venuti, he came up with a new blood effect that is basically a long tube that runs off stage and it's connected to a uh, water or a fire extinguisher. So it's like giving high away pressure. all the magic. I know, but I, just to set it up. So it, basically the blood can fly out of this tube while the girl gets stabbed at the end. And one night it misfired and somehow just started pooling underneath the girl that was getting stabbed and then it just started dripping off the stage and it looked so real and it was really gory and I was like even I was like uh oh my god that was that was intense but for Adelaideans it was like super intense super intense but um we ended up getting some really great reviews which was fun yeah and we got five stars hashtag five stars thanks (laughs) thanks Australia yeah it ended up being, just like it was in New York, um, a show that people who wanted something different and new and a night out really enjoyed. And the people who wanted a traditional circus show did not enjoy. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess traditional is one way to put it. Or uh, classic. Cla- classical. Well, that's another thing we'll or talk about. Or more contemporary. Right? Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about the term classical circus later in, the, later in the episode. Yeah. But one of the things that Lindsay and I also found super interesting about Australia was just their impression of circus in general. Mm-hmm. When we're in New York, and I think many Americans, and particularly people who follow circus uh, on the internet and in their own their own communities will notice is that a lot of shows talk about how they have storytelling in it, or they incorporate these other kinds of things in order to get audiences who might not think circus is for them in to see it. Because as, as many of us know, we've had, we, circus in America faces a challenge of uh, being like, not everything is like ringling, not everything has animals, not everything is traditional. And a way to combat that is by saying, oh, we have great dance in the show, or we have a story, or we have acting, or we have these effects. Which is sort of what we did with Summer in New York. However, in Australia, circus is treated with much higher higher regard. regard. Mm-hmm. Um, and people really just want to go see acrobatic yes. circus shows. And they have a load of really great companies that do that. Ground acrobatics and some aerials, but really based on the ground, group acrobatics, really high skill level. And that's what um, that's what Australians want to see, which is cool. When you think about it, right, it is cool that Australians can don't need to be convinced to go see high skill level, just pure circus without any gimmick. Right. To get them there. Yes. And so for for them, slumber was so not circus in a way that it was like what the hell is this show which but i think in our efforts to combine all these sort of disciplines of theater and dance and circus and comedy Mm -hmm. we created something that's a little bit of everything uh which in new york is what people were looking for while in australia i think people uh were pretty confused by (laughs) by what the show is and in a good way i mean we had really awesome reactions from our from our audience Mm -hmm. really great feedback mainly for that reason that people would say i've never seen anything like this Uh, but I, th- I would say our audiences, um, like New York, really, were people that don't normally go see circus, which was also interesting that even in Australia, we got this crowd of people that don't really see uh, theater or circus, but want to go see something on their night out. And, that, uh, you know, on Friday and Saturday nights, the show was packed and um, was a really fun time. There was one show, though, <laughs> that started 40 minutes late. And our second show. Our second show we had ever done in Adelaide. And because it started late, everyone everyone in Australia drinks very intensely. And so they were standing in line for a while. And I think people were just getting more and more drunk as like they waited. The first curtain cue misfired. So the opening curtain, <laughs> and it wouldn't open. And so I was like, this is going to be a great show. And then um, for anyone who has seen the show... They'll know this part, but for anyone who is not, at one moment in the show, an audience member gets picked and pulled up on stage to help uh, the main character with with something. And they, uh, they, re- they remove a dead body. They remove a dead body. 
And um, the audience member that was picked that night was highly intoxicated and um, his girlfriend was with him. And so when (laughs) he was up on stage, he started taking off his shirt. This girlfriend who he was with came up on stage and started yelling at him. So we had a domestic dispute. And everyone was talking about it. Then I said, like, oh, you're a slumber. Heard you guys had a domestic dispute. And I was like, we did. And then she kept walking around the whole show. Um, so we learned a lot that night. I was talked to the house managers. And, uh, you know, but that was the craziest show we, we had. I, I think we call it the fringe factor, which we talk about a little bit with Lauren later in the episode. But basically this term fringe factor, which I love, is a reference to the unpredictability of mm-hmm. the things that go Wrong. Wrong <laughs> at a fringe. Like, I think three weeks in, maybe, we were uh, following a show called Briefs, which I strongly recommend to anybody if, if it's in their town. It's sort of an all-male cabaret show. And uh, we're about to go in and do our turnover, and the stage manager comes out from the tent and goes, uh, just so you guys know, there's a possum in the rigging. Like, excuse me, what? A possum. Like, the little animal in the rigging. Be aware they might it might climb down onto the stage <laughs> during, during the performance. Great. Hashtag fringe factor. Yes. And then one night there was a an Adele concert playing across the street with sixty five thousand people attending. Uh, needless to say, our tent was pretty empty because everyone, including our sound or our uh, yeah our sound guy, went to the concert, and so we could hear Adele singing the whole show, which for me was. Magical. That's a free concert for us. Yeah, it was free. But, uh, you know, just, yeah, fringe factors, stuff like that. It was uh, definitely a learning experience. There were definitely ups, definitely downs. Um, but we had a blast, and our cast was amazing. And the show it looks better than looks ever. Looks better than ever, yeah. I'd say the best thing about the fringe was definitely the networking. Mm-hmm. I think when it comes down to to what we take away the most from this experience was we met loads of people who present circus all around the world. We met people who produce circus all around the world, loads and loads of artists. Yeah, I think other than the fact that we met so many presenters and producers, meeting other artists was um, really exciting and seeing other people's work was really, really cool. Uh, especially over in Australia, where we were one of two American companies. There was one uh, comedian from L.A. And other than that, it was us and Joe Pinzon, who was also on our podcast, who does who produced Filament. Um, but it was just the two of us, um, American companies. So um, seeing so many other companies from different parts of the world and the art that they're presenting and interested in uh, was really cool. And one of the things that, that I found particularly interesting just being in Australia for five weeks was comparing the uh, circus scene in its entirety to mm-hmm. the U.S. scene in its entirety. And one of the biggest takeaways I have was the importance of youth circus programs. And we talk again about this a little bit later, so I won't spoil too much of it. But in Adelaide, there's a program called Cirque Kids, and there's another program called uh, Fruit Fly Circus. I, I believe it's based in Melbourne. But basically, every every medium to large size city has a really legitimate youth circus program, and it sort of does two things. It creates the next generation of Australian circus artists, but it also creates people who just like circus. Like most people have touched circus at some point in their in their childhoods, mm-hmm. just due to the prevalence of all these all these various programs and it's done an amazing thing for developing circus audiences in Australia and I don't know it just really hit home for me just the importance of organizations like Circus Smirkus and Circus Mm -hmm. Harmony and NECA and all these I mean there's so many to list that that's just a small sample but the importance of youth education and circus in developing a strong healthy circus culture. Mm -hmm. Um, When you just said that it made me think about that's probably why a main reason why Australians don't need all the added pizzazz to a circus show. And I know there's like a controversial article out right now (laughs) that Adam Woolley wrote um, about like the five things that if you're a new circus company, you should think about. He's also previously a guest, which you can go check out. Um, And, um, you know, I think like the if you like the article or don't like the article, um, a point of the article is that exactly what you just said essentially right like americans don't know they like circus whereas australians the biggest difference i saw was like they don't need to be convinced that they like circus 
and and adding the storyline to a circus show for them was frivolous. And in America, adding a storyline is almost necessary. necessary. And so that's a that's an interesting difference that if Adam is listening, maybe write about that also. You know, um, just the differences of perhaps it's exposure when you're little to it to the art form um, versus versus having no no exposure to it. Well, we have a whole episode coming up with you at the Adelaide Fringe, so we'll we'll save some more details for our interview with Lauren. But before we jump into there. Seven Fingers is coming and playing in New York at NYU's Skirball Center, and they've been kind enough to offer us a discount code for our listeners. They're playing April 11th through April 16th, and if you use the code CIRCUS1, C-I-R-C-U-S, the number one, all capitals, all one word, you'll get 30% off of your ticket. Lindsay and I will definitely be there. Oh, definitely. I can't wait to see the show. It's a it's a seven finger show as as many of you probably have seen, but this year's theme or this this particular show's theme is food and cooking. <laughs> I was just thinking, um, just one artist who actually saw slumber in Australia, like subbed or at some point was in Cuisine and Confessions, and um, had like a traumatic moment with a knife in the show. Like nothing happened, but it just freaked her out, and so <laughs> the whole show when she saw slumber in Australia. And Lee, the main character, has a knife the whole show. <laughs> she looked terrified. And I talked to her after. I was like, what was going on? Are you okay? And she's like, I'm so afraid of knives. I have a really big knife phobia. I was like, our show is the worst show that you could have possibly seen then. And then she told me this story about Cuisine Confessions and made me want to see this show even more. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see it. So, uh, again, it's playing April 11th through April 16th at NYU in New York City. Use the code CIRCUS1 for 30% off your tickets. It's at the Skirball Center. In other circus news, we have some sweet deets about Big Apple Circus coming back to New York City. 40th year anniversary. I guess they skipped the 39th year. Oh, right. That was was (laughs) this year. Oh, yeah. Um, But our good friend and very talented talented director, director Mark Monaghan, is directing it again. And if you saw the last uh, show that Big Apple did... um, he directed that as well, and I thought it was, like, their best show. And he's directing Circus Mercus this summer for their 30th anniversary. So yeah, Mercus really good and talented and great choice by Big Apple. Good good job, Compass Partners, who are three dudes who like Circus and are... I think it's Barry, Larry, and Neil, our, <laughs> our Compass Partners. Yeah, um, and Nick Lalenda is also going to be in Big Apple this year, the which famed I'm excited about because I've never seen him in person. No, me neither. I mean, for those of you who who know a little bit about Nick, he's a wire walker. He's walked across uh, Niagara Falls, across skyscrapers the Grand in Canyon. Chicago, the Grand Canyon. Uh, recently, there was a pretty sad, uh, sad and also very fortunate in the same way, a circus accident with a show he was doing in Florida where they do a pyramid with, I believe it's nine people on a wire and it, they, everybody fell off but was okay, ultimately. Uh, so this is our chance to see see Nick back in New York, and sounds mm-hmm. like they're doing a forty city tour, which I am very interested to learn about what mm-hmm. the details of. That yeah, tour hopefully are. we can get someone from Compass Partners, Barry, Larry, or I think it's Neil. Neil. Let, me, <laughs> let me triple check. I don't want to. Yeah, Neil. Neil. Um, hopefully we can get uh, one of those guys on our podcast and and talk about the resurgence and reimagination of the Big Apple Circus. I think they're still planning to go to Lincoln Center, but when I was reading the Spectacle Magazine article about it, they reiterated again that that uh, that was not part, part of, of the, the deal. deal. So they, they still need to negotiate that. So I think for me, one of the most interesting things to to find out this spring and mm-hmm. summer is where on earth is Big Apple going now? Yeah, and also harking back to Australia. Uh, one thing that I'm very proud about uh, doing the Fringe and I'm also really proud about for Joe um, Pinzon is that we we were showing that America has interesting art coming out from it, uh, especially in circus. Um, whether people liked it or not, we at least had were representing, and I encourage people to keep keep doing it because it was so we were so under um, underrepresented, and so. Big Apple coming back is, I think, a really important thing. People really liked, I want to make it clear, people really liked American Circus in Australia. Joe Pinzon's show, Filament, was one of the top-selling shows. Yeah, people really liked it. It's just different. It was different for them. And it was, you know, it took a little bit for people to be... 
to, to understand that they liked that style of circus. And so I'm happy that Big Apple's back and touring because we need it. Uh, if you guys know any, any more scoop about it, send us send us an email. Hello at HideawayCircus.com. Give us any Mark Lonergan, if you can just email us all the details. Yeah, Mark, if you're listening. <laughs> Maybe we just have you on, Mark. <laughs> oh, yeah, we should probably have Mark on. Uh, he also runs a company called Parallel Exit, which, which is, is a, a great physical theater company. Based in New York. Before you continue listening, well, I guess you can listen to the whole podcast. And then if you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, tweet us, and rate us on iTunes. And subscribe. On today's episode, we're interviewing Lauren Eislinger, who is a independent circus producer in Australia, based out of Sydney. Uh, we sort of focus on talking about the differences between the Australian and the U.S. circus scene. We talk about what to do if you're considering doing the Adelaide Fringe Festival in Australia. She's done five of them and has dozens of really, really good tips and pieces of advice for those of you considering it. And we talk about sort of some of the projects she's working on now. Yeah, I think if you are at all considering doing any fringe, not just the Adelaide fringe, but any fringe, I would definitely recommend listening to this podcast. Uh, she really lays out in a very um, cohesive and straightforward way what to think about. And I wish I had talked to her before we went because um, she has some very insightful things as being someone who has done a lot of fringes. And knows circus really well. I think yeah. Lauren is is not too dissimilar from us, but oh. the Australian version. Yeah, it was great. I think that's why we we chat, continued chatting for about an hour and a half after we recorded our podcast. And hopefully we will see her again. So uh, enjoy the podcast with Lauren. Thanks for coming over, Lauren. No, that's all right. Thank you for having me. Where do you where do you live when you're not at the Adelaide Fringe Festival? I live in Sydney, um, your postcard city. Uh, but I'm a little bit of a nomad, so I get down to Melbourne quite a bit. I'm here for a month at the moment. Um, I try and get overseas, but yes, Sydney is home. Uh, what's the circus scene like in Sydney? Um, interesting. We, um, I guess Melbourne is a little more famous in, in Australia for having a lot of freelancers around. Um, the city scene, you get a lot of corporate gigs, a lot of uh, people doing act development. There's not a lot of real circus show development happening in Sydney. Um, at least when I've worked with companies, we usually end up casting from a combination of Sydney and Melbourne. Nice. But um, the circus artists in Australia, I guess because of that, unless they're tied down to um, – Oz or uh, Circa tend to be a little bit nomadic as well. So um, Brisbane and Melbourne have got got a lot more stuff going on. Were you into circus when you were a kid? Actually, no. Um, I grew up being a uh, performing arts kid in the more traditional um, dancing, singing. I shall put my kid in ballet because that is what you do with your six-year-old daughter um, type kid. And I grew up doing dancing, um, but my family, while they support the arts a lot, um, are not really artists my um my parents actually my auntie decided to be a concert pianist but you know she was a little bit of a black sheep um so uh, they said look we'd really like you to get a degree um to fall back on they're both doctors so yeah <laughs> um, and so I didn't I didn't pursue full-time performing arts when I was 18 despite having done about 30 hours a week of dancing and acting during my final year of school. I went to university and I did an arts degree and I learned everything I know about producing from the extracurricular stuff I did at uni. So I hung around for a lot longer than my um, actual arts degree should have been just uh, producing things with university societies. That's when I found producing and was like, whoa, there's a huge back end to this show business type thing that I kind of knew existed as a performer, but didn't know the nitty gritty of and um, the Sydney Uni Drama Society let me produce a show for $400 in a basement theatre and I went oh okay how do I spend $400 to put on a show <laughs> um, and by the end of uni I was spending $30,000 to put on a show and then when I left uni I went oh actually this costs real money and I need to spend my own money now so um, yeah that's how I kind of oh how does circus fall into that um I discovered circus at uni with the university society, which is, I guess they're like training clubs that um, are in university scenes and where they're actually really good breeding ground for circus in, in Sydney. 
Um, and I discovered those guys and they were putting on a show and they went, hey, Lauren, you're organized. Do you want to help us put on a show? And I never really left. <laughs> what did you like about producing the first time you did it? Oh, wow. Um, the big picture. Being able to see what this could be, where it could be that, how it can find its audience and how I can help put all those things together. Well, and what kind of shows have you been producing since school? Um, all of my shows have got a sizable point of difference. So um, I guess the thing that's taken up most of my time in the past few years has been a show called Luminous, which is a black light circus show. So all the performers are painted by a body paint artist. Um, she's the best in the world. Her name is Jess Watson Miller. And then the whole show takes place under UV light. So we can turn performers into these crazy, wonderful creatures. We can do a lot of illusion work because the human eye can't tell the difference between like a black costume on a black background. So that person, if they're wearing black, is invisible. So we can make people appear and disappear and do wonderful things with, um, you know, circuses already has that fantastic, wondrous, almost impossible element. And we just can kind of step that up to the next level. So there's that. I also work a little bit in cabaret and theater crossover. If I find interesting work that sparks imagination. Awesome. And you yeah. were saying to me earlier, this was your fifth uh, Adelaide Fringe you've been Yeah. To? So I came once as an audience member and hung around, saw shows, thought quite heavily about, hey, as an audience member, where am I hanging out? If I don't know what I'm doing this evening, how do I find out? And really just took it all in kind of bit of research, reconnaissance, I guess you could say. And then I came helping a friend with the show, um, kind of her almost roadie, almost producer, and tested the water in a very kind of low risk way. And then I brought Luminous here and it started off in a tiny 110 seat venue, which once you have the tech desk in was more like a hundred <laughs> and um, it started to do really well. So Luminous got this reputation of, you know, when you go, Lauren's going to stand up the front. She's going to tell you to make friends with your neighbors and move over. And you should be like touching elbows and touching butts. And we're all going to squeeze into this tiny little tent and watch this cool glowing show. And it grew. Um, and by the time I brought it last year, it played a 300 seater and over in Perth, it played 550. Nice. Yeah. Can you describe like what the Adelaide Fringe Festival is for somebody maybe in the US who has never Not been? Not a lot of idea. Yeah. <laughs> Madness, bedlam, <laughs> um, organized chaos. No, it's awesome. Um, Adelaide, population like triples. Um, I'm not going to say it's a country town pretending to be a city because it's a, it's very much a city, but if you've come from New York city, uh, Adelaide feels very, very, very small. It's got a population of like 1.2 million, I think, <laughs> yeah. as far as size. Tiny, tiny, but during the fringe, uh, it's huge. So everything in Adelaide happens at the same time. Uh, over February and March, they've got the arts festival, the fringe festival, Worm Adelaide. They even throw a V8 supercar street race in there called Clipsal. Um, yeah, a horse race. Uh, a horse, horse race as well, race, yeah. yeah. So like- It's a national holiday. Everything. We just like chuck it all together. So the fringe um, is this amazing melting pot of all different art forms. And I think this year we're creeping up on 1300 shows. Uh, so there's kind of three main big hubs, those being um, the Garden of Unearthly Delights and Gluttony and the Royal Croquet Club where you guys are playing. And then there's a whole bunch of other venues all around the city and then spreading to surrounding suburbs and it just keeps growing. Um, and they're basically shows, they're all about an hour and they start in the morning on weekends in the earlier afternoon on weekdays and they just back up one every hour, all of these venues across town until, you know, the wee hours of the morning. So um, there's a lot <laughs> and every possible surface that you see as you walk around town is covered in posters and the streets are full of people flyering their shows. So really, like, it's absolutely everywhere. Once you wake up and you leave your, you know, home, um, you're just bombarded by fringe for a month. Where did you play Luminous when it was here last year? Yep, I played in Gluttony. Oh, in Gluttony. Yeah. Okay. It was cool because, you know, obviously Josh and I have, this is our first year here. Mm -hmm. And we walked around RCC and we're like, cool, this is really like, the feels like a cool vibe, you know? Yep. And then you walk around Gluttony, you're like, oh, this is like a carnival, kind of like the, I don't know. A bit more family-friendly atmosphere. Yeah, more so. family-friendly. And then Gluttony had this kind of more, like, I think Gluttony felt the more most family-friendly and just like art deco-y kind of. Yeah. Yeah. They've all got their own personality. It's yeah. really cool. And and 
a lot of even the smaller venues have all got their own their own spark. So when you bring a show um, and you finding a venue, it's completely not just the four walls or the tent if you're in a tent that <laughs> that you're looking at you're actually also like each surround and each precinct has got its own um kind of audience and its own feel so yeah croquet is um very much your you know quasi nightclub I'm going out kind <laughs> yeah. of feel um and the garden is your mystical whimsical wonderful wonderland and then you've got gluttony in the middle but also um venues like tuxedo cat who always set up in what feels like an abandoned building or a um an empty site somewhere so they feel really fringy in the more traditional sense of you know ed- edge of the scene mm-hmm. kind of um yeah I remember seeing a show there and there was like a dusty concrete floor and some bench seating put in and it was this crazy cool little show at about midnight he's like where am I and what am I doing and am I dreaming but this is so cool so when the fringe isn't going on mm-hmm. there's actually quite a lot of circus going on in Australia I yeah think, compared to at least the amount there is in the states all right would you sort of break down the differences between um traditional or classical circus here versus oh I heard you use the word contemporary so for the listeners, mm-hmm. I Josh and Lauren had a conversation that I was late to because, <laughs> A, I couldn't find where the hell they were having coffee. There's a lot on it. It's fine. <laughs> and, yeah. And fringe life is like nothing you've ever experienced until you've experienced it. But um, but Josh told me about the fact that you call you call uh, traditional circus classical circus. And I really liked that term. I think um, it's. It's a really organic changing thing. So it's not that we don't use the term traditional. I, I'm not sure, even sure where the term classical circus came from. I was in a panel discussion recently up at Sydney Festival who put on a circus hub for the first time, um, I believe it's the first time main stage arts festival in Australia, put on a like circus specific precinct and they had a bunch of panel discussions as part of this which was really cool and people were referring to traditional circus as the classical form of the art form in the way that ballet Mm -hmm. is the classical form of dance um and that's the first time I'd heard I'm not sure whether that was the coining of the term but it's kind of entered my vocabulary since and I really like the idea of that because a tradition can feel um in a way like dated or archaic mm-hmm. or it's something from the past but yeah. this is not like your tented traveling circuses are not from the past they're very much the present so I really like the term classical I also like it because you know in in theater you refer to classical theater like Shakespeare right mm-hmm. and that to me Shakespeare feels like where a lot of the uh new work came from it's almost like this like jumping off point but it doesn't feel dated when you watch Shakespeare yeah you're absolutely. watching the classics right and I think that's a great way of saying it because traditional, when you say traditional circus, everyone thinks it feels dated. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, there's there's animals in it and it's, you know, a ring and there's not nothing, you know, except like act. Yeah. Like host, act host. And, um, but classical, I think, is a really, because in some way it makes it feel still really incredibly relevant and like important. Yeah. Still. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. I think I'm going to start saying classical. Yeah, maybe you should. You've converted cool. me. <laughs> I'm not sure of the exact number of um, classical tented circuses that are in Australia at the moment, but it came up in Sydney and I think it was it's either 18 or 28. It had a number in it. And it was like, it really surprised me. Um, I'm, you know, personally, I wish I was more connected to that scene. But do, they, do they include Spiegel tents with that or just canvas? Like no, I think that would be like your yeah, canvas um, kind of caravan touring oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah touring circus wow that's fun so, what are the, so circus oz is one of those big ones what else sort of falls into that okay category? so circus oz are kind of um uh, a bit of a mixing pot in that sense so they are doing uh theater shows now they also have a big um big top that they do a, a summer season in melbourne and track it out at different times of the year they've got a little spiegel tent on site at their um venue in melbourne so they're like a Big, big company. Um, They're just starting to have a smaller show as well as their kind of uh, big headline show. Um, Then you've got the the kind of very contemporary companies. Uh, Circa is the biggest one of those and they're only growing. They're doing, uh, you know, a million and one things with um, the resources that they have, which is really, really fantastic. Um, And they're touring all over the world as well as showing at home as ours um and then who we got a lot of kind of much smaller touring maybe uh, self-administered self-produced companies um Cassis would fall into 
that kind of category. And we're seeing a lot of those on the fringe circuit. Mm-hmm. They keep popping up. Um, I guess all you've got Gravity and Other Myths as well in the Adelaide, Adelaide Festival. Locals. Adelaide Locals. Um, yeah, they're like bridging the kind of scene between the uh, smaller casa-sized companies and the kind of circa-sized companies. Um, they did a beautiful shows open at the Adelaide Festival called Backbone, um, which you guys have seen. And, uh, yeah, so the, the Fringe program at the uh, – sorry, the Fringe Circus program this year has got maybe 40, 40 different shows in it, and they range from – people giving it their first go, you know, straight out of high school or circus school or maybe students still in circus school, right through to um, more established touring companies who've got, you know, the fringe is one stop on mm-hmm. their national circuit. Like yeah. Limbo yeah. and Blanc and so and Babu. But yes, also so really amazing. Oh, man, we saw Limbo the other night and it was just like, I thought it was so cool. It was so cool and the... The Chinese pole number. Yeah. I didn't like their costumes. I was like, what are they wearing? <laughs> Where did this come from? But they're, man, the skill is just, you know. But that's what you get when you they're have these. They're such amazing performers. Right? They're so seasoned in there because I think all of them are, you know, they're not just out of circus school. Some of them are. Well. No, none no, of them really are. None of them are. So you can just tell, like, they've had performance time and yeah. they're, you know, seasoned and. Like, just so skilled. But anyway, anyway getting does, off of that. How does the funding work for some of these companies? Like, for something like Circa or even, like, these small companies? Yeah, pretty varied. Um, there's no magic secrets. I think especially when people come to the Fringe, they have this idea of, oh, and then, you know, I do it with my Fringe show and industry come and see me and X, Y, Z, something happens, and then I get picked up. And that's the kind <laughs> of end of the story and, and magic happens. It really... It's quite simple. You can either be funded by government, but um, federal funding, national funding, state funding is pretty thin on the ground for the arts at the moment. A lot, like most of the shows here, I would say here off their own bat. So they've either fundraised or they have um, their own capital from other touring enterprises or they have private investment from some kind of sources. Um, Circa, um, and I believe Oz will get funding. There are not a lot of like, other circus companies that have consistent ongoing government support. Is there um, a lot of government support in general for the arts in Australia? Look, I always like there can always be more. No, there's definitely not, and it's just been cut again. Yeah. So, um, not too long ago, we had massive funding slashes in the arts. There were lots of layoffs, lots of job loss. It was pretty devastating. Um, so, companies just are getting more and more resourceful. Um, in the way that they develop work, in the way that they finance work. And, um, you know, it, it does get harder. It gets more people have to do more, fewer people have to do more jobs and you have to be more inventive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. One of the conversations we had yesterday was about animals because you and I were talking mm. about sort of the the difference in shifting, shifting views in Australia and the US and the closing of Ringling. But you were saying that something similar is happening here where local towns are sort of outlawing performing Yeah, so animals. look, I think... Um, it's a kind of very current issue here. There are councils, um, I know in Sydney especially, I'm not sure about specifics elsewhere, who are banning performing animals. So it means that tented circuses can't come into, or tented circuses with performing animals, sorry, can't come into those areas. And um, it's a divide that the industry, I think, is doing a lot to try and bridge now. Um, there we have something called the Australian Circus Festival, which is doing great things in bringing the more contemporary theatre circus scene and the uh, more classical tent circus scene together. And there's also a lot of other online kind of community building, industry building initiatives to bridge that divide. But the question then, of course, is how you um, try and bring that to the world outside of the circus industry where the tented circuses are allowed to go um, are usually more suburban more um, regional less areas like there's less space in the inner city and also some of those suburbs um, or areas that don't like performing animals are in the city so they don't come in which means that um, the inner city audiences are getting the theatre, contemporary circus, mm-hmm. and the other areas are not, and vice versa. So there is becoming this kind of divide between 
which audiences will see which art forms. And it's something that is kind of starting to happen and we have to, you know, I think we should work really hard to to make mm-hmm. sure that that is not a divide that gets too big. It's interesting because um, actually going back to Shakespeare, <laughs> we were reading this article in, uh, or not this article, it was a, it was a paper yeah. on Shakespeare in, when we were in theater school. Well, Columbia for our master's. But we made it a circus program. <laughs> Even though it was a theater producing program, we made it circus. Awesome. Um, but it was basically saying how circus felt lowbrow or for the everyman. Mm-hmm. And it didn't feel like you couldn't, um, you weren't welcome there. You had to act a certain way while you watched it. And that was interesting because circus does feel more like traditional yeah. classical circus feels like anyone can go you can enjoy you don't have to worry but this more traditional or um this more uh, contemporary mm-hmm. circus even though it doesn't mean to feel like prestigious or you know um uh oh it the, feels exclusive it feels yeah. very yeah. exclusive and especially if it's in a theater in a very nice theater absolutely it feels very exclusive and there's like the theater has a lot of tradition and um what's the word i'm looking for not etiquette, but formalities yeah. around it. Yeah. That you know how you behave in that environment is very different. Yeah, it's a massive and, thing in, in uh, at least yeah, in New York. Exactly. So when you're talking about circus being performed in those different spaces, it does start to take on the um, context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So then I guess what you're saying about Australia, where traditional circuit or classical circus is going to the suburbs and theater or uh, and uh, contemporary circuses and theaters in mm-hmm. the city, then it is even more of a... Yeah, you're starting to get that kind of um, social and yeah. economic divide as well as um, just the geographic areas. Yeah, we have the same thing happening in the States, but because uh, the country is so large, they tend to focus on arenas versus yeah, theaters because right. arenas are an easy thing to to tour to in smaller, smaller locations. Yeah, but then Ringling couldn't... Yeah, I mean, it just becomes then the question of what's sustainable Absolutely. for the art form. And going into theaters is easier, way easier. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about land, like, you know, getting all the the approvals of all the government. And all yeah, that. not to mention the freight and moving right? the whole tent. <laughs> yeah. Moving the whole tent. And then, but then it's like, okay, well, if it's easier to go into theaters, what is that doing then to the to the form of circus or the accessibility to yeah. it? And um, and so with Ringling closing, because at least even in an arena, uh, when that Ringling would go into, you could get a forty dollars ticket. You were sitting really far back, but you could still at least enjoy it. And um, but then if you go into a theater with less seats, then you have less opportunity to see it. And well, more. yeah, that's the other thing, isn't it? Is the cost. Um, and I think something that we just talked about socially yesterday was uh, ticket prices. Um, I mean, some of the more expensive shows here at the Fringe can cost 50, 60, 70. I mean, some of the like big show pieces are even upwards of $100, which just for comparison, um, you know, a big musical like Matilda or Wicked or Hairspray when it comes would also be about 150 odd Australian dollars. So you're really starting to play in that big commercial field. And, um, you know, at least the classical tented circuses that I've seen don't charge anywhere near that. It's a $20, $30, $40 ticket Mm -hmm. and a family ticket is really affordable. So um, a lot of the contemporary shows that move into these theatre spaces are also charging those those kinds of prices. Right. So I want to jump backwards a little bit in in the conversation for people who are um, trying to self-produce in the States Mm -hmm. and sort of wondering about what opportunities there might be in Australia. So other than the Adelaide Fringe, what kind of other big festivals or circus-related things happen? happen okay, so you've got your curated festivals and then your open access festivals. So the Fringe is an open access festival. It means that if you can find a venue, you can come. Welcome anybody, one and all. And the curated festivals, are the opposite of that is you get invited. So most of the capital cities have their own arts festivals. So there's the Adelaide Festival that's on, Sydney Festival, Melbourne Festival, so on and so forth. And they are all curated so um there'd be a process of you know pitching your work or have someone having seen your work and liked it and the open access are you know come one come all um but in saying that as things get bigger it's also very competitive to find a venue especially a venue that's in demand so um yeah they're not being curated but also the venues do have a lot of say in terms of what comes and what doesn't and then of course you can 
do a completely independent season. You can go ahead and hire a theatre or you can try and piece together touring from um, individual uh, venues or theatres. So in Australia there's quite a big regional touring circuit as well, um, regional touring, regional theatres, um, and we're such a big country that you can do a lot of, a lot of driving or, or travelling around and do regional touring. And the spaces in the bigger cities are more expensive, harder to come by, but definitely still doable. How uh, Would you give a quick description of sort of what the main big cities are and if there are any like, differences between playing in Perth versus playing in Melbourne sure. versus playing in Sydney or Adelaide? So um, two kind of major big cities in Australia are Sydney and Melbourne. Um, some people call Melbourne the cultural capital of Australia, but um, <laughs> Sydney has its own flavour, own beautiful flavour as well. So both of them have major arts festivals. Perth is actually home to Fringe World, which in the last few years has really boomed as a fringe festival. A lot of people are now doing not just Adelaide Fringe, but Perth and then Adelaide, and the festivals line up perfectly to do that. So where's Perth used to be? Um, you know, a real trek to get to, very out of the way. I mean, it still takes five and a half hours or so to fly from one side of the country to the other. So it's by no mean, like, like no mean feat to get there. But they are pulling really big audiences and that Fringe Festival has just exploded in the last three years. Um, so a lot of people will do Perth and then... Adelaide and then if you're a comedic style show you can go on to do the Melbourne International Comedy Festival which is right after so that's a bit of the the summer kind of touring leg um up north you've got um Brisbane Brisbane is not as far north but Brisbane's halfway up they too have their own arts festival Darwin has an arts festival as well Darwin's in the far north um and yeah a lot of a lot of companies will will tour both those cities as well you're saying there's so many shows mm -hmm. in the fringe because if you can find a venue, you can come. Yeah. Just from being here for the first time, it seems a slightly detrimental to all of the shows mm. because of that, because that everyone can come, whether it's a really amazing show for a lot of people or like maybe it's like you're trying it out and, you know, you, you have to convince people to come. Yeah. Because it's like a very wide range. Um because there's so many options for people to see and there's really real commercial shows that have been touring mm -hmm. for a while and are very polished. Yep. It feels like it's detrimental almost to all of them that there's so many and there's so many different sizes and like amount of. That's also what a fringe festival is. Yes, completely. There. Yeah. I mean, there's two sides to that. Firstly, there is a point where the program is massive. And actually, most of the audience for the Adelaide Fringe are Adelaideans. There's only about 15% of the audience comes from other places. So in that sense, you do have a finite number of audience members who are going to come and see shows. And most people, um, I'd say, would come out for a day or two at the Fringe. They might plan to see more than one thing on those days. But, um, you know, there's like the Fringe junkies like me who will come from interstate and see something on every day, maybe multiple things. But most of your Adelaide-based audience are picking and choosing quite selectively. So the more options they have, the, spread, uh, the thinner spread your audience gets. But on the flip side of that, the big commercial shows um, – tend to bring audience members out of their houses and to the fringe who may not otherwise go to anything. And in coming out and seeing what it is, may actually find a smaller mm -hmm. thing that they want to see or enjoy. Or even if they just, you know, see a street performance, um, mm -hmm. which is much more accessible if you're walking past, and go, oh, wow, that's what that is. And it might actually encourage them to come and see something else. So there are um, there are good and bads. As for the program being huge, it is really difficult to cut through the noise. Um, and you've got big shows that have really big marketing spends and you can either throw a lot of money at your marketing and try and compete just by size and might, or you have to get really clever about finding your audience and, and really tap into a niche. And that takes more time. So you've either got a bunch of money or a bunch of time or both and you know, there are shows. That's a dream, right? That, that's, of course, <laughs> <laughs> the, the wonderful dream. Yeah. Um, but there are some shows that have absolutely smashed their runs and done really clever marketing. One of them was um, in Gluttony this year, and she came last year as well, was a comedian who was a nurse, and she did a show um, 
all about nursing. And she used to rock up at hospitals and flyer nurses. She used to rock up on night shift and say like, hi, I know what it's like to be you. I'm doing this show. And they had to put like more seats in the biggest venue that they had in Gluttony to accommodate her audience this year. That's just awesome. smashed it. Um, and there are shows who've done really clever kind of guerrilla campaigns and clever flyering. But the key is always with with those things to start way earlier than you think and and get get your momentum going. Would you have any like top tips, including that one, for yep. somebody who uh, might do the fringe next year or the year after? Top like three things to think about or before you come. Right. Um, top three things before you come. Um, okay, so the first one would be really identify why you're coming. So um, there's a lot that the Fringe can offer you, especially Adelaide Fringe. Uh, the Fringe is really good at providing events and education for artists and companies um, and support for artists. They're really good at matchmaking industry and performers, so producers, venues, festivals that are looking to buy shows and artists who are looking to um, sell their show for onward touring. Um, there's a lot of reviewers around and obviously audience building potential. So, oh, and money, you know, <laughs> um, there, there's all of these things the fringe can offer you. I would be really, really selective in considering why you're coming, um, and articulate that as early as possible. So that, you know, for example, if your show is playing to tiny houses, but you're getting really good critical review and that's why you came, then you go, all right, we took a bit of a financial hit but we might have won an award or we got some really great reviews and it was worth it for that. Or we're here to um, make sure we break even. And that's, that's the main goal. Um, I don't care about anything else. So then you're really putting your time and effort, I guess, in targeted places. Otherwise you will be overwhelmed and you'll burn out very, very fast. Um, second top tip would be articulate who your audience are as clearly as you possibly can. I mean, I even, when I consult with, artists and emerging companies, um, I get them to write a profile of their audience member and we go, okay, so does this audience member read the newspaper or are they on Facebook when they get the train to their show? Do they get the train to your show? Do they drive? And then you can put your marketing dollar into really specific places to target those people. Um, they're probably two top tips. The third top tip is look after yourself. <laughs> so many people get burnout after the fringe and end up hibernating for a couple of months. Um, yeah. And I don't know how artists do it. Cause like we have, you know, obviously our show, mm -hmm. but, but we're not in it. You know, we have the outside perspective of it and yep. can work on the show. And granted, Josh is like a stagehand for this version, <laughs> but I, I see these other shows where they're in it and they all are making it and producing it themselves. And I just, I just have no idea how you're doing that. And I like, tip my hat to them because yeah. it just seems incredibly overwhelming. It's, it's huge. <laughs> and in a way that is really hard to fathom if you've never been, but it's just completely immersive. Um, you always think, you know, Oh yeah, I'll do my show in the evening and I'll have time. You never have time. <laughs> um, there's never like stuff's always cropping up and you're always thinking about how can I get, you know, one more person in or what else can I do with my spare three minutes? Um, yeah. So if you've got a plan and even if, you don't end up following it to a T, but definitely have goals and make sure that everything you do is in service of that why you came and what's important to you, then you can maintain your sanity and have a good time. <laughs> so when are you going to bring your black white show to the US? Oh, I really want to. Um, yeah, I'm developing a bunch of new stuff and um, not sure what's on the slate at the moment. Well, no, I'm, I'm getting there, but I won't, won't say anything yet, but I would really love to tour the U S um, seeing you guys and seeing filament as well, who came, uh, there are other major companies that tour out. I hadn't, there are not, of... a, uh, not really midsize, which yeah, I think right. is a challenge for us and Joe Pinzon, previous guest, everybody who's interested, <laughs> who has a show filament here. Um, there tend to be very, very small companies, mm. more similar to, um, maybe even a step below gravity and other myths yeah, as far right. as like performer, created and and a step managed. below Cassis too. yeah i mean that's the interesting thing that we talk about with joe all the time is like unlike australia where people like circus and go mm -hmm. to it and it's not the challenge of convincing someone that they like circus is not necessarily there yeah Even right. in america you have to hurdle the hurdle is the word circus yeah okay you know and to convince people that they like the word circus and they like the show 
is like part of the whole yeah, wow. you well, know? One of the things that we'll talk about when we do our Adelaide Fringe in review is that in New York, our biggest advantage was saying, we talked about this yesterday, mm-hmm. theater, dance, comedy, and circus. Yeah. So they go, okay, well, if I don't like circus, it's only one of the four things. <laughs> yeah, I like all these other things. We're seeing, I know like all these things, and they come see the circus and the Chinese Paula mm-hmm. act and the contortion, and they're like, oh my God, I, I love I never circus. knew I liked circus. Yeah. Um, while here, the it's been the opposite because there's so many things that people want to see. That, like you said, the best thing you can do is identify what your individual point of difference is. Absolutely. Um, um, I think I missed that in the top tips. But <laughs> um, no, absolutely know your point of difference. And um, when I saw you guys immediately, it was like, slash a circus. Yeah. And um, the, the more succinctly you can identify what makes you different from everybody else. So what audiences can get out of your show that they cannot get in the thousand other odd <laughs> shows um will help you kind of target your marketing cut through mm-hmm. that noise yeah what's the circus scene as far as like youth education like uh here great awesome um there's a really really strong youth circus sector in australia and the sector is really starting to band together and and talk even though australia is such a large country and um you know some of these organizations are separated uh you know by by a really big distance and catered to different markets and different demographics. Um, the industry is really good at coming together. And so m- most states have a youth circus school and um, the f- kind of full-time version of that is Flying Fruit Fly Circus in Albury, Wodonga. And they let you do high school alongside your circus studies from age eight, I think you can go, all the way up to the end of high school. Um, I worked for the past two or three years with Warehouse Circus, which is Canberra's youth circus organisation. Right here in Adelaide, there's um, Circuits, which is housed in the South Australian Circus Centre. And, and there are others. I mean, these are kind of like the main, you know, um, of course, Brisbane Darwin outside the corrugated iron there's there's heaps of them um and these are training centers for young people so like you might enroll your child in dance you can enroll in circus from from a really young age and these organizations are producing really strong um emerging circus artists who some go come straight out of those kinds of programs and are making their own work, forming their own companies. Others go on to tertiary study and we have NICA, which is the National Institute of Circus Arts, which is like Circus University. And that's But it's also it's also attached to a real university too, right? NICA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. A real university. <laughs> well, a real like, university. For example, like yeah, you know, there isn't actually there's no tertiary is a good word for it, uh program in the States like that period. Oh, right. There's there's two that are sort of upcoming that may end up really being legitimate in the next year mm-hmm. or two. But for most Americans, the option is going to Canada. And both of those aren't uh, typically, I mean, they're both just circus schools. Yeah, but there's well. not even right. that many pre-circus school options for kids either. Okay. No. You know, there's but, very few. But NICA is actually attached to a... Yeah, so you come out with a bachelor's degree. Yeah, yeah from NICA. So it's attached so to the University of Melbourne. Melbourne. More academic-based Well, it's more like going to college. Um, no, the real, University of Florida, which has a circus program. Right. And also you can get a real degree mm. that your parents can be... Your parents look at the piece of paper and go, oh, well done. Oh, you have a um, piece of paper. Good yeah, so you. full-time training. But we have these, yeah, wonderful youth organizations that feed, um, can feed into NICA. Actually, that's one thing Josh and I were talking about where because, like I was saying earlier with Americans and circus, not not thinking that they like it. He, in Australia, it seems like all these kids have at some point maybe touched circus when they're little. Yeah. And so they come up with a different understanding and appreciation for it than they do in America because mm-hmm. there's very, very, very few kids' yeah, wow. circus programs. And there's one in St. Louis, Circus Harmony, which is amazing, and obviously Circus Smirkus, which is Josh's actual love. <laughs> Loves it more than me, maybe. <laughs> and, and there's a few other, but I think... There's so much less opportunity for kids to experience circus and understand that they like it. Yeah, well. Um, whereas here, it's so refreshing because people have at least done it at some point in their lives. Like, oh, I took a circus class once. Yeah. You know, whereas in in New York, it's like, oh, I took a, a silks workout class. Yeah, okay. It's like, that's not really a silks class. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> and it's starting, like, especially aerial work is um, starting to really infiltrate um, society in in a way that I don't think we've seen before. There's a lot more dance schools picking up aerial work, um, and a lot, or um, so you see you see it in crossover performances. So people are starting to get a, a taste of what it is. I mean, we've still had reviews in the past where 
reviewers have said, um, you know, things like, oh, the act with the bowling pins flying through the air was really good, or the <laughs> cylinder on a string, which is a Diablo. <laughs> right. um, but by and large, there is an understanding, at least of of the art form mm-hmm. and how it works. We were talking before we started recording the podcast about what I I consider Australian circus from what I see in New York, and it feels very like ground acrobatics, mm. stripped back, lighting, minimal sound. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of a lot of contemporary companies are doing that. It's definitely the the very in thing to do at the moment. I mean, a lot of the Oz shows uh, are not really like that. They are higher production. They do have circus Oz. Circus Oz. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I should clarify <laughs> that, of course. So a lot of the circus Oz shows uh, are much closer to the kind of classical, you know, the big production values. But contemporary circus, it's very trendy at the moment to do a stripped back kind of, you know, monochromy. Um, minimalist mm-hmm. aesthetic and a lot, lot more ground based work. It feels more like contemporary or modern dance when I compare the two, mm-hmm. watching the two. You know, we don't really know the story. There maybe isn't even a story, it's just yeah. a theme. And you're just watching this, like, this incredible feat of athleticism. Yeah. And technique. And technique. So we usually wrap up with the same three questions that, sure. that everybody gets. This shopping. is a very educational podcast. This I just want to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> this is a very, very, I'm very... I'm so glad it could be helpful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I think this Academic is going to be... Academic podcast. I also think lots of Americans, like, fantasize about how great it must be in Australia. So this is going to shed some... some yeah. Oh, look, some like, light. it's still... I, I'm so happy to be doing, like, you know, involved in circus here. It's, it's really awesome. I'm not saying it's yeah. all super difficult, but if you come, especially to Adelaide Fringe, if you come prepared, you'll have such a good time compared to if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had like half a good time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we came prepared. You have good yes. take homes. Yeah. yeah. So the first of our three questions mm-hmm. is, has there been a piece of advice, good or bad, that has stuck with you that you would share either because it's good or because it's bad? Okay, I'm not sure whether this piece of advice is good or bad, but it definitely needs consideration. And that's um, do what you love. Um, I'm in circus and I'm in the arts because of the love of it. But I would say do what you love, but think about what it actually looks like first. Um, Because, I mean, I had an experience last year where I come off the back of an almost two-month tour. It was basically me on the back end of an eight-person touring crew. It was huge. And I just hibernated for several months afterwards. I was completely spent. And there were other opportunities coming that way, but I couldn't take them because I thought, wow, if taking those means living like this with my brain the way it is now, I can't say yes to that because it's a package deal and I can't say yes to the way I feel at the moment. I need to actually look after myself. So um, that was really interesting for me because I'd always thought that constant touring, um, you know, with the big scale production was exactly what I wanted to be doing um, and what I loved to do. But actually the reality of that for me was very different. So I've gone back and kind of built my foundations differently so that I can continue to do what I love in a way that is sustainable. So do what you love, but take your brain with you. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, the second question is uh, for somebody who is a circus student or just just learning about their love of this uh, mm-hmm. this art form. Is there a book or a movie or a show or some kind of artistic reference you would suggest they see that was like formative or great for you? Go out and see something live, um, even if it's not exactly circus. The relationship that a performer has with an audience is the cornerstone around which our whole art form revolves. So if you can find the spark of life performance, um, circus, and, you know, especially when it's really engaging circus, does that so, so well. Final question. Uh-huh. Well, let me preface this. We thought we'd have so much more time, like we were telling you, <laughs> to interview all these people. Yep. I'm so glad we were able to interview <laughs> you. So this next question, we could always Skype, but mm-hmm. who do you think we should interview next? Oh, um, from the Australian circus scene? Anybody. Or anybody. anybody in the world. Yeah. We can always call. That you think would be a good guest. Ooh. Maybe try and get someone from one of the hubs. So, like, um, someone who organizes the garden or gluttony. There's Scott Maveman who does the garden. Um, a wonderful duo team called Elle and Dan, who uh, Daniel Michael and Eleanor Kirschbaum, who run gluttony. Actually, Eleanor would be really cool. She's a sideshow performer and strong woman and also runs... Um, Gluttony Circus Hub. 
um, and Bamboozle Productions, I believe, are behind Royal Croquet. Um, they could be cool or um, like one of the artistic directors of either Oz or Circus Oz or Circus, so Rob Tanyan or Euron Lipschitz would be great. Um, you say his name, the second, the last name said Euron. I've always said Lipschitz, Lipschitz. but now I might. So I read a, I read an article that he wrote about, um, like the early days of Circa and yeah. how they were getting reviews and what people thought and sort of how they oh, went yeah. from being like considered super weird and not like to this like prestigious things like we haven't even really changed that much. It's just time. <laughs> just time. Uh, but yeah, I heard them say like, we grew up yeah. Yeah. Um, and we got administration and we <sighs> became tied down by bureaucracy and then we had to remember where we came from. Um, they would all be cool. Or um, maybe a performer who's been a few times to, you know, to, to, to a number of different cities or into Australia a few times. Uh, been, she sorry, just gave us like a hundred different choices. <laughs> That's great. <So> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they're all good. It's funny. You, you hear the same names a lot. We're trying to get Scott. Scott. Yeah. And he we were like, hey, Scott. List. he's like, yeah, sure. And then we were all got to the fringe. Oh yeah. Then you get to the fringe, like yeah. nothing yeah. happens. Um, yeah. Scott by Skype would be interesting. We'll just have to come back to Australia for fun. Yes. Of course. Or for work. Or for work. Yeah. But for fun. Just so we can just experience it. Yeah. yeah. We can go to the beach and pet a koala. Yeah. yeah. And ride a kangaroo to school. Oh, oh my God. That Except really happens here. I've seen it on the streets. Australians are all no, just riding I'm sorry. everywhere. I'm all the wrong things. You can go to a zoo and see a koala and a kangaroo. <laughs> and a panda. And a pa- yes. Mm-hmm. yes, Adelaide Zoo has the great panda. The big panda. panda. My mom yeah. texts me. She goes, Adelaide Zoo was great. Saw the panda. It was amazing. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not sure the panda's like the high, you know, it's oh, cool. That panda's pretty cool. I liked the sea lions. But Lauren. thanks for coming. Lauren, thank you so much for having us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> that was our interview with Lauren Eislinger. If you enjoyed the episode and enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe on iTunes, rate us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, tweet us, or email us at hello at hideawaycircus.com. We're back in America and bringing more podcasts to you weekly, hopefully. (laughs) Have a good week, guys. Bye.